Good morning, and welcome to Friends Church. Happy you're here this morning, uh, or you're joining us online. Just uh, happy to see all your faces or know that you're out there somewhere. Uh, look at, I want to just give you a little bit of an update. We'll call this uh, Friends Church Finance 101. How about we do that? So um, we say often that this community is what supports this ministry, Friends Church. From the student ministries that are going on, the children's downstairs, the various groups that are meeting throughout the city, throughout the weeks, all the different humanitarian projects that we do, it's all funded by our community. And uh, I want to just start off by saying thank you. We have, we've come through one of the most turbulent financial times in modern history in the last few decades that I can remember. It's never been quite the white-knuckle ride that we've had. And Friends Church has done reasonably well. Last week, uh, Trevor got up and just shared a little bit of a snapshot of where we sit at this point in the year with regard to our financial picture. I sent out an email to all our donor families. Um, Projecting to the end of the year, we're about 20 grand. It looks like we'll come short by about 20 grand based on our monthly donation patterns. And that, in light of our bigger financial picture, is not terrible, actually. That's, that's not too bad. So anyways, we put out a call just saying, look it, is it possible that as a community we could shore that up before the end of the year? And our community has responded. Uh, within only a week, we've already hit 10 grand, and so we're halfway there in terms of shoring up that, which is huge because this is budget season. And for us as an organization, we want to be incredible stewards of the finance that comes in that gets generously donated. We want to plan ahead. We're looking at next year, trying to figure out, okay, well, realistically, what can we as a community um, raise, what can be given so that we plan our expenses accordingly? If we think that we're going to be able to only do a certain amount next year based on our patterns this year, then we have to cut back. We, have to, we just have to make, this is a business, just like every other business and any business owner in the room here knows revenue has to match expenses. So, so how we do here in the next little while will give us good indicators as to what we should be doing next year. Make sense? So anyways, I want to thank you in advance because... Based on what we're seeing right now, it's giving us more of a solid picture as to what we can accurately project for next year. So your monthly donations matter. Your pre-authorized giving, those numbers that come in where we slide into your bank account and just pull out that money so quietly every month without you hopefully noticing, that is helping us because we're looking at that. That's very predictable income. And so we can base a lot of our projections on that. So all of that all of that is giving me hope for the coming years. We want Friends Church not just to thrive or survive, but thrive. There was a time where not all that long ago, we were able to give the equivalent of over 20% of our entire operating budget to parts of the world, locally and internationally, to make a difference. Economic downturn has kind of caved that in a bit, but we're on our way back. And one day we're going to be back to just talking about all the incredible things we're doing even beyond this, just this organization. So thank you for playing a part in all of that. Thank you. And uh, hey, look at if you're out there um, and you've never given to Friends Church, maybe you've been 
contemplating it. You like what you're hearing. Maybe you, your family has benefited from something that's going on here. Can I just encourage you to take the step and do it? Um, you can give online through our website. You can give through our app. You can give through the black box at the back there. In fact, we're making it even easier for you. You're getting used to finding your menus at local restaurants through a QR code. Well, we too have a QR code. All right, it's, it's stapled right to the back of that black box. You can just walk up there with your phone and uh, just point it over that thing. Boom, it leads you right to our website where you can just give. Or just that easy. No excuses. <laughs> no. Hey, no pressure. Just thank you again. All right, that's all I got. Welcome, Vince, to the... T- he is bringing the heat this morning. You can tell he's got something special. He just loves that transition, doesn't he? Loves it. Morning, everybody. Welcome to Friends Church. Okay, I called this message the green-eyed monster, which for me means jealousy, envy, you know, coveting, wanting something that I don't have. Anyone want something that they don't have? My, one of my strongest memories is in Moab. Anyone, so Moab is this little place in Utah that's basically Mecca for dirt biking, 4 by 4 and quadding. It's my favorite place to go. And we're down there before the pandemic happens, and we're loading up after the end of a week-long riding. I'm exhausted. Everyone's exhausted. We've had the most fun of our lives. And now we're loading 12 bikes into this massive trailer. And to do this, we actually can't put the bikes in straight. There's like a ramp. But every bike needs to go up the ramp and then be put sideways into the trailer. These bikes weigh a lot of weight. And so I have a bike that I've had for years. It's a, it's a big WR450. And I'm, getting, I'm trying to get it in front so that I can help everyone else get their bikes in. And I'm trying to get my bike to turn, lift and turn around into the slot. And I am dying. I'm underneath the bike like, ah! you know, like my hernias are blowing out, whatever's going on in my body, and I literally can't do it. It's sliding the back of the tire a little bit. Finally, I kind of get my body underneath and I like chunk it into place. And I'm literally doing one of these, like, And I walk into the trailer, exhausted, shaking. And I go to my friend's bike. He has a bike that is basically this bike. And I'm looking at this bike, and it kind of has, it's, it almost feels like the bike's looking at me. It's like, yeah, you want to lift me, buddy? <laughs> Good luck. And so I get his bike, it's lined up, and he's over there, and I'm over here, and I'm like, Okay, I just got to turn it sideways. Just like one more lift without a hernia, and we made it. <laughs> so I get under the back of the bike, and I'm doing, you know, the, the chiropractor, like lift with your legs, or is it lift with your back? I think lift with your legs. Whatever, they have this whole thing where you like squat down, tighten your core, grab the bike, and it's like this, like, ha! What the heck just happened? How did I lift this bike that easily? My bike, I just about died moving. This bike, I can lift like as a mountain bike. 
I want this bike. Not a little bit. I want this bike. Anyone have those moments where you're like, no, 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 I need that. You know, sometimes it's a bike. Well, you should all want this bike. Now that you've looked at this bike, actually, you should want this bike. But it's anything. Sometimes it's, you know, the perfect family. You see, you're, you know, you're struggling with whatever, and you see someone else who has something different, and it just looks like they're easy. Like everything's going smooth for them. Or some people, it's like the whole world is lined up at their feet. You struggle and push, and nothing ever lines up. But for them, it's just like the red carpet rolls out. You're like, why can't my life just be easy? Like, once. We tend to want things that we don't have. We want luck, or we want like a situation in life that other people have. We want situations. Anyone feel that? To me, I have to feel it right here, like, oh, I want that. As you know, I'm talking about the, cov- the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt not want what other people want. Bad, Vince. You want a motorcycle. Bad. But is it bad? I remember watching a video of this couple. I'm partnered, my wife and I have been together for eight years now. And I'm watching this video of this other couple. And it's, I remember the guy, he's sitting down here, his partner's sitting next to him, and she's, and they have just this insanely beautiful energy with each other. It's like they actually like each other. They've been together over 10 years. There's like a sexual chemistry between them. She's laughing, he's laughing. They're bantering between each other. At one point, she leans her head on his shoulder. He puts his arm around her. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty beautiful relationship. I want that relationship. But wait. Wanting something that you don't have is bad, right? That's coveting. And the whole Ten Commandments says you shouldn't want what you don't have. In fact, the spiritual journey is trying to fight against the want that you don't have. So my whole spiritual journey is looking at that bike and denying it. No, you don't want that bike. You don't want that bike. The bike that you can lift easily. The bike that will ride better than any bike you've ever ridden in your entire life. You don't want that bike. I see a couple on the screen having this beautiful relationship, and I I say, I want that. And so what I do is I start studying. I go to a conference. I learn about my past and how that impacts my ability to be open in a relationship. So then I can feel some of my walls come down. I start doing what people call men's work. It's this process by which you kind of create space inside yourself for the world around you to be who they are. My relationship got better. I kept doing different things in my life inspired by that couple, and my relationship just got better and better. So, wait a second. I want a better relationship. It inspired me to do the work I needed to do to start creating that better relationship. So, is coveting actually bad? 
Is wanting what somebody else has bad? It's tricky, isn't it? There's this beautiful story in the Bible. You know, I think it's so funny. We think this is all new stuff to us. People have been writing about this for thousands of years. Thousands. Jesus tells this story. He says, okay, there's a landowner who owns a bunch of land. They own a bunch of vineyards. And there's a bunch of itinerant workers. So I want us to assume that we're all itinerant workers. We're standing on the street corner waiting for someone to hire us for the day. We all have families at home. Money's tight. Like real tight. Like getting a job today means groceries, means our family is fed. So this means a lot to us. And so when the vineyard owner comes to us and says, hey, would you like to work in my vineyard for the day? I'm paying a hundred bucks a day. You're doing the math. That buys us a week or two of groceries. I can feel myself walking in the door after today, arms full of groceries, my kids freaking out, my partner excited. $100 for a day's work? I am in. Think about what our lives could look like. And so we go to work that day, it's hot, we put on a hat, we work all day, but all day we're kind of doing the work, but we're still thinking about walking in the door with groceries and what we could have, like, oh, we could maybe like cook a turkey or have pancakes, like, oh. Now Jesus tells the story a different way, I'm going to tell that one second, but here's how I think the story could go. At the end of the day, we finish the work. And we walk up to the landowner and they say, great job, man. Like the vineyard looks fantastic. And they reach in their pocket, they pull a $100 bill, bam. We're happy. Our families are fed. Life has changed. But that's not how Jesus tells the story. Jesus tells the story that as we're working in the vineyard, by about lunchtime, we all go to get lunch together, and we look around and we think, wow, there's more people here than there were this morning. Where'd they come from? And then at coffee break, afternoon coffee break, we're tired, it's been a long day, but we're still thinking about all we're going to do with that $100, the food we're going to buy, but we keep noticing there's more and more people here. And at the end of the day, Jesus tells the story this way. He says, everyone lines up. We're at the far end. The people we just noticed are at this end. And the landowner walks up and reaches out a $100 bill and hands it first to the people who started latest. We're thinking, well, that's strange. They only worked a couple hours. Why would they get $100? And then Jesus says, the landowner gave it to the people who showed up at noon. We're thinking, well, maybe they were working in a different part of the vineyard. Maybe they showed up together. But if they're going to get $100 for a half day's work, what are we going to get for a full day's work? Now remember, the first time I told the story, when we were handed the $100 bill, we're ecstatic. We're thinking of all the good it's going to do in our families, the food, the, the meals, the, the excitement in our kids' faces. Ecstatic. But when Jesus tells the story and flips the order, 
When the landowner reaches into their pocket, pulls out the exact $100 that we agreed to, that's completely fair for a day's work, and hands it to us, how do you all feel? Wait a second. What do you mean $100? I want what that guy got. I want what they got. They got $100 for two hours work. I want more. Wanting what someone else has. Sometimes it inspires you to make a great relationship. Sometimes it takes the $100 that was going to feed your family that you were excited about all day. And it takes all those good feelings away. And someone else's joy for being able to feed their family feels like pain. Ah. It seems like there's good envy that motivates us, that inspires us, that helps us grow, that brings joy into our lives. But there's also this other dark side, this dark envy, bad envy. And what it does is it can rob you of the joy of your life. That's what I find Like that story just blows my mind because I'm going, nothing I did changed. I worked a full day. I got my $100. Nothing changed but watching someone else get something. And suddenly it's destroyed for me. That's the power of bad envy. Good envy is beautiful. Bad envy sucks the life out of us. There's a story, another story. This is actually one of the earliest stories that we have records of. Probably started being told around the campfire. It's what the first kids who were, I'm going to air quote this because it's all complex. Buy me a beer one day, we'll talk about how complex this is. But let's just say there's a story. Two brothers, Cain and Abel. I'm going to tell it in modern day. They show up at a party. Abel has a new suit. He's looking sharp. Cain doesn't know about the suit. He goes and buys a suit before the party because he's like, I'm going to look good at the party. And he shows up at the party with his new suit and everyone's like, wow, that's a nice suit. Have you seen Abel's? Can you feel that? <sighs> Check out my new car. I'm all excited. Oh, did you see their car? <sighs> My kid got into this school. Oh, yeah, you hear John got into Harvard. Full scholarship. Suddenly you're looking at your kid going, like, can you do anything right? See how it robs us? Cain and Abel. One comes up with a suit, looks beautiful. Second one comes up with a suit, hoping to look beautiful. And Abel upstages them again. That guy. Same suit, nothing changed. But Abel, Abel getting the love. This is a beautiful line. The narrator says this. He's talking to Cain because Cain, after he sees Abel, he's just cranked. So mad. Kicking things, you know, that kind of like energy. And the character God in the story says to Cain, 
You okay? And what's up? Your face has fallen. Then the character of God says this. Cain, bad envy is lying in wait for you. Ready to pounce. It's out to get you. You have to master it. And I realized something. There's a way to deal with bad envy if we can see it. If we can't see it, <laughs> it's just stealing the joy out of everything in our lives. 100 bucks for a day's work. Ugh. My new suit that I think looks awesome. Now someone's got a better suit. My kid who did amazing. Whatever happened, I got this work or job at work and someone else got more than I. Everything in our life can be stolen from us through bad envy. The character says, watch out. It's lying in wait. So I want to say a couple things about bad envy. Bad envy is always there waiting to get us, right? That's the line. There's this great story of the silver medalists. A, can you throw the picture up for me? This is the picture of a, a woman who won silver medal at the Olympics. So let me just say, she won. She's the second best of eight billion people. <laughs> no, someone just didn't fart right in front of her. This is her on the podium. There's actually a study that someone did of judo matches from the 2004 Olympics. I think about 84 matches. Here's what they found when they looked at the faces of the characters who finished the matches. The gold medalists. 100% of the time, once they've won, guess what they did? They smiled. Best in the world. Bronze medalists, third place. 75% of them smiled at the end of their match. All you 8 million people, I beat you all. I'm on the podium. Guess how many of the silver medalists smiled? Zero. Zero. Why? They're sitting there looking at the number one person. They're second in the world. And they're looking at the one person who beat them, and they're like, ugh. I want that. They have probably spent their entire life training for this event. One person beats them. And their desire for that kills every bit of joy they have. That character who says, bad envy is waiting there to get us. Oh, it's waiting. You can look through your whole life and feel the pull of bad envy, can't you? I can. People who do more, people who have more, people who have more luck than I, who have a better circumstance. Oh, I can feel that. Second thing we learn from the Cain and Abel story, bad envy is not trying to help you. It's not. Um, Aristotle once said, and I'm going to paraphrase this, so don't quote. Actually, no, this, I'm going to quote Bertrand Russell. Bertrand Russell is probably one of the bigger uh, philosophical minds of our generation. I guess previous generation. He says, instead of getting pleasure from what we have, envy gets us pain from what others have. He says it's the one emotion, it's the one sin, it's the one seven deadly sins that we get no value from. I thought about that. 
do we get no value from it? When I look at somebody else and I feel the pain of that feeling, that person worked two hours and got $100. I worked all day. I want more. Does that give us no value? A lot of the thinking I did for this was watching a video called Envy by a YouTuber called ContraPoints. If you don't know ContraPoints, big shout out, you gotta hear. She's amazing. Transgendered woman, ex-philosophy student. Her thinking's fantastic and her, her sets are over the top, but she's a transgendered woman and we've watched her transition through the whole time of her life. Inside, she feels like a woman. Outside, she is progressing. She said, envy? Oh, I feel envy. When I look at the picture of Jamila from The Good Place, sultry eyes, perfect hair, all femininity spilling out of her, she's gorgeous. And yet, every time she looks at her, she feels the pain of not being that of not being the beautiful woman that she feels inside. She sees the pain of that. And here's what it allows her to do. And this is the thing that allows us all to do. And let me tell you by way of going outside of what I'm going to say and coming at it from the other point. So let's just, I just want to get you guys to imagine, you're going to a party. You're picking your outfit. What do you wear? You know if you pull out a suit... The other people are probably not going to be wearing a suit, and they're going to look at you and be like, can you believe you wore a suit to this party? He's so vain. Jeez. You know, there's people starving in Africa who could use the money that you spent on that suit. You know, why don't you try and think about the rest of us instead of thinking only about yourself? Now we're all feeling underdressed. Do you see what happens when we're on the other side of envy? This message was inspired by someone showing up at Friends Church with a new car. They said, hey, come check out my car. It's this wicked 4x4. I go running out. I'm like, whoa, that car is beautiful. They said, oh, I'm probably going through midlife crisis. Because she can't celebrate her car because she's risking me feeling jealous, me wanting what she has, and then what am I going to do? I'm going to attack. 90% of Twitter is bad envy turned to moral outrage that cuts down everyone around it. I showed you guys my motorcycle. I desperately want to tell you how old it is and how cheap it was and how it's not a really great bike because I don't want you to judge me. That's feeling the pain of bad envy. Now flip it around. Bertrand Russell said, envy does no good. Oh, I disagree. It allows us to take the shot at all kinds of people for doing all kinds of stuff that honestly, deep down inside, it's because we want that. And if they have it, and if they show it off, if they tell me their kid did one more good thing, Oh, I'm going to get up. Our society is 
flooded with bad envy, turning to moralization, turning to attack. Can you feel it? Can you feel it when you see something that honestly you wish you had, I wish I had, and it turns dark? It allows me to do things and think things and say things. Oh, Bertrand Russell, I think you were thinking too small, my friend. Last thing from the Cain and Abel story, you got to master it. There's a couple different ways you can master bad envy. One's with gratitude, right? Think of all the good things in your life. Yeah, they might have a better car, but you know what? My car is awesome. Yeah, my friends all have brand new motorcycles, but you know what? Mine's fantastic. I love it. Can you feel that starting to lift? Yeah, you know, they have it easier than I do, but you know what? Man, the grit I've gotten from my tough life, I'm stronger for it. Gratitude works pretty good. Here's the problem. Remember I started with the story of the couple who inspired me to start working on my relationship? Sitting on top of a mountaintop in gratitude, thinking about all the things that are good, isn't very motivating. We have to balance bad envy and making sure that that doesn't take us out and still be motivated by the good envy. I see that job that somebody has and I want it. I'm going to go back to school to get it. I see that relationship. I see that vehicle. I've always wanted that vehicle. Great. I'm going to start working towards it. Friend of mine, haven't seen him in years, calls up. Oh, yeah, I just got a stage two breast cancer drug approved, and it's having incredible ability to change women's diagnosis with breast cancer. That's awesome. I got to step up my game. Gratitude is beautiful when it's focused on bad envy. But you've got to watch it. Don't let it take out the good envy. Good envy motivates good. So first thing we can do, gratitude. Second thing, acceptance. Here's the plain truth. The world's not fair. It's not. There's someone better looking than you, more talented than you, has better luck than you. Ten times more than I got. It's not fair. There are people who show up and get the same prior wage for two hours' work. There's people who are going to walk through life just like there's a golden carpet in front of them. That's the reality of life. It's not fair. Some of us have a really tough hand to play. Some of us have an easy plan, hand to play. If you get stuck in the sense that it should be the same for everybody, it's miserable. The story of Cain and Abel. Why does Abel have a better jacket? Why does he have a better suit? The text never says. Life's unfair. Some people get ahead, some people don't. Coming to grips with that in our souls changes something. We can look at somebody, instead of saying, screw you, There's actually this term called tall poppy syndrome. Have you heard this? Poppies 
actually, you know, I'm going to guess at how poppies grow. So I'm going to go home and talk to my wife and actually find out how poppies grow. But I think they grow really flat. But every once in a while, a poppy sticks up above it. Oh, that poppy that's doing really good doesn't make me feel good. I want that. And instead of doing anything, what we do is we cut the tall poppy off. If I can't get ahead, no one gets ahead. We felt that, haven't we? It's incredible what bad envy does to us. The final piece of the antidote to envy, bad envy, is admiration. Can you throw that picture of Jamelia up again for me? Imagine your contrapoints. You grew up as a man. Somewhere in your 20s you realized, no, that's not who I am. I'm a woman. But your body is permanently changed through puberty. Statistically, your, hips or your shoulders are probably wider. Your hips are narrower. Your body mass has changed. Your face has completely rearranged itself. Your jaws widened. Even the where your eyes are has moved. Your hairline has changed. But you don't feel like a man. In your heart, you know you're a woman. There's this idea that says admiration can be an antidote for bad envy. You look at somebody beautiful and you think, good for them. Like, they are fantastic. That's a beautiful person. Jamila, Jamila, she's beautiful. That person's car, I love it. That guy's light bike, fantastic. Unless what you admire and who you are is too dissimilar. ContraPoints wakes up every morning and looks at Jamila's picture, sees the perfect hair, sees the eyes that are lower, sees the jaw that's narrower, sees the cheekbones that are expressed, sees the change even in the way her lip is, and she knows that she will never look like Jamila. It tears her heart out. We told you through this whole series, this isn't black and white. I can't even give you an antidote to bad envy, where you just say, hey, look, if you're feeling bad envy, just do this. Just admire the person. Yeah, that's great. Unless the person makes you feel less than. Just express gratitude. Yeah, just sit on the mountaintop. Unless you actually need the motivation to make the change. Acceptance. All of these are just tools. And I think the spiritual work is not this. It's not looking at the thing you desire. That motorcycle, that job, that relationship. And trying to deny it. That's not the spiritual work. The spiritual work is to feel when it goes to bad envy. When you feel pain at someone else's pleasure, at getting ahead. And knowing how to handle it. You know what Cain does? His brother shows up at a party with a nicer suit than he does. You know what he does? He kills his brother. Kills him. And I look through our society right now, and here's what I'm troubled by. In myself and everything that I see, it's we are actually doing the same thing. I think bad envy is run amok. And we don't know what to do with it. And so it takes us over, and we attack people we love. 
For on the other side, we play small. I can't tell you something I'm excited about. You might feel bad envy. I'll be the tall poppy. You'll chop me off. So we play small. We don't celebrate. We don't try and get ahead because if I get ahead, then I'll stand out and then the world will look at me funny and they'll maybe attack me and I don't want that. I was talking about this with my wife and my stepson as we're driving. And we just kept looking through the different parts of life and saying, yeah, bad envy. It's causing havoc there. Relationships, friendships, business, social media. How much of social media causes us to feel bad envy? You look at someone who has the very thing you want, having the perfect experience of the thing you want. And we can't do admiration because it's too much. Now just take a minute. What if we could let bad envy go and embrace good envy? That's what we're here for. That's why I read like pretty much every Bible story. I want to see someone do it better than me. And my desire for that motivates me to be better, to grow, to change, to evolve. Imagine your life motivated by envy, but good envy. Imagine if we could see bad envy coming. You know, the Cain and Abel story, it's almost like it's ready to pounce on us, right? You can see it like, no, 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 I, ooh, yeah, I know. You want to twist that desire inside of me and make it dark. You want me to feel pain at someone else's pleasure. You want me to attack them. I'm not going to do that. If we could do that, I think we would shut down Twitter. Wouldn't be any need. Think of people coming into your life and instead of them kind of saying like, um, so uh, I got a promotion today. And we're like, congratulations, that's so incredible. I am so happy for you. Someone shows up in a better way than we have and we can celebrate, we can be like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I'm bringing what I got. But even more than letting bad envy go, motivated by the good. I think our world is desperate for us to show up in the best way we can. With love and compassion and caring. What would our world look like if even just this room and everyone who's listening to this would let good envy motivate them to be better? To be able to show up in love. What would that do to our world? That's what Friend Church is about. To inspire you using good envy to make the world a better place. And here's the final part I want you to wrestle with. I lifted my friend's motorcycle onto the trailer. Either I became the Hulk and suddenly I was that much stronger or his bike was lighter, which we all know it was. His is a better bike. On the way home, we drove. It's about a 20-hour drive. You basically drive for two hours and sleep for two hours and drive for two hours all the way home. Guess what I was thinking about? 
soon as we crossed the border and I had internet, guess what I did? I checked my bank balance. Oh, I can feel it right now. I don't want to tell you guys the rest of the story because I'm wondering if you're going to judge me. <laughs> I don't want to be the tall poppy here. <laughs> I'm kind of doing this like, oh geez, oh geez. I checked my bank balance and I called my friend who had this bike. After a little negotiation, I drove to his house and picked it up. I love my bike. It's lighter, it's faster. Can I have joy with my old bike? Oh yeah, for sure, I could. But this one's better. Here's the final part of the message I want to leave you with. Bad envy, that's easy. We know what that is. It's just a matter of fighting it and figuring out how to get around it. Good envy, when we're making the world a better place, beautiful. But me having this bike hasn't made the world that much better, has it? Sure, I can rationalize it and say, well, I'm less tired because I have a lighter bike and now I can help my friends more. And I do. That's not why I bought it. It brings me joy. Remember we talked about how our spiritual journey has an eye component? What stuff do you truly want in your life? What stuff when you see someone wearing something or doing something, you're like, oh, I like that. And it's not bad envy. It's not you feeling like, oh, those sons of... And it's not even the sense of like, oh, I'm going to solve cancer if I get that. That's not what I'm getting at. No, I will find a moment of joy. And here's my question. Is that wrong? I think the spiritual journey is learning when it's okay. I think our spiritual journey has been defined by saying what you want is not okay. And here's my question. Is that the be-all and end-all spiritual journey? Denial. Or is there a part of our journeys where we can feel joy? Folks, if we can avoid bad envy, I think we're already going to make this world a way better place. Again, the amount of social media crap goes away is beautiful. If we can use good envy to motivate ourselves to beautiful things, to become better, to enjoy our lives, and if there's stuff in the middle where buying it doesn't hurt anyone, I'm okay with it. But don't judge me. Have a great week, everyone. Take care.